we've been talking about mental health and, and uh, we started the first week off of this series kind of opening up this massive idea uh, that when it comes to mental issues, mental health is actually simply just that, health, right? Mental health is health. We've got to erase the stigma. As young Christians, we've got to begin to erase that narrative and start a new narrative that allows people to be open and vulnerable without fear of somebody judging or, 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 or casting uh, some type of idea or perspective uh, their way. But the hope is that if we change the narrative, people will begin to open dialogue and talk about what they're dealing with, and then we get the opportunity to share Jesus. And then last week, we talked about how important it is to, to understand your emotions, to guard your heart, to renew your mind. These are things uh, that, that happen when your emotions get involved, because it's hard to talk about mental health and not talk about emotional health at the same time. So last week, we talked about emotional health. A lot, And if you missed last week, go check out that podcast. We really want you to kind of catch up. This series is really hard to understand in disjointed pieces. We want you to kind of get the, the full uh, picture. But this week, we're going to talk and end this series very practically, right? So we've been talking about these theoretical ideas, the, the emotions, the thoughts. Uh, my hope tonight is that you can leave with something tangible in your hands. That if you deal with mental illness, if you deal... Uh, or you're struggling with mental health, or, or maybe you just kind of are off and on with this battle. And some of you guys, maybe you're even deep inside that battle currently. My hope is that after tonight, you can leave with something very tangible in your hands to walk away with and say, you know what? These are things that I can do now. Uh, the enemy likes to paint this picture a lot, that when it comes to mental health, uh, we as human beings are, are helpless. You ever felt like that when you don't have to raise your hand? But I just, I just know people feel like that all the time, that, that we feel helpless. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, I, when I talk to people, one of the most uh, uh, talked about emotions that come with mental illness is the fact that, that people are seemingly helpless. I don't really have a dog in this fight. As a matter of fact, I know that it's happening to me, but I can't stop it from happening. I know that, that this is going, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Anybody that's dealt with mental illness can say this. It's, it's like, yeah, the, the, the wheels are turning, everything's happening. I'm just watching it, and I don't really feel like I can control it. I hope tonight we can kind of bring light, shed light on this idea that you are not, in fact, hopeless, that God gives you the power to take steps. Doesn't mean it's not going to be a battle. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult. And it doesn't mean that you're always going to get it right. But tonight, what I hope we can leave with is a collective idea that we are not, in fact, helpless when it comes to this battle against mental illness, especially if we are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Uh, we give you honor and we give you glory. We just ask, Lord, that you begin to... Uh, just work on us. And if there is uh, some idea that needs to be broken before we even begin this conversation, God, I pray that you break it. In the name of Jesus, I pray that, that you start to do some things in us so that you can work through us. Father, I pray for every single person dealing with depression, suicide, anxiety, or any type of mental disorder, God, that you will begin to speak to them right now because it's not the, the educated words of an uneducated preacher that's going to change anybody. It simply is the Holy Spirit coming into this place and doing something supernatural. Father, we love you. We thank you for the cross. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Father. And everybody said...
Amen. Any, uh, any crazy people in here like roller coasters? Any just like psychos that like roller coasters? Y'all crazy, right? You know what I'm saying? Y'all just don't. I don't, I don't like ro- simply because I don't like roller coasters simply because it's, it's just pointless to even get on one. Like, let's think, like there is only about a one in 24 million chance that you actually die from a roller coaster. But why take that chance? You know, like it, it doesn't make any sense. If there's a chance that you could die and you don't have to do this, why are we doing But so many people are like, oh, I love roller coasters. I'm a thrill seeker. Like, it's awesome. Uh, y'all remember in high school? That one friend that always did the stupidest stuff. You know, it's like they were trying to do backflips off rocks into lakes with rocks at the bottom of the lake. And you like, you know, it's like they dive in two foot deep water. They're like, oh, yeah, this is. And they're always white. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know why. It's always white folks, man. And they always have long hair. You know, they, they like sunshine off Remember the Titans. But it's always that guy. You know, he's like, yo, I'm going to do a gainer off this dude. Watch this, bro. Yeah. You just sit back like, this dude is stupid. <laughs> or, or like skydiving. You know, like, has anybody been skydiving before? Ludicrous. Doesn't make any sense. Satan invented skydiving. Like, <laughs> let's just be real. Nothing about skydiving is appealing to any of us. Hey, yo, let's jump out of a plane with just a big old giant North Face jacket on our back. <laughs> it's going to be hot. And the, the reasoning for this is that, like, it's like, yo, you got to face your fears. Like, pick up a snake. You know what I'm saying? Like, or hold a frog. <laughs> this is the exercise. You got to fight your fears, you know. Like, this is how we do this. You can do it. And they, like, give some existential argument to why skydiving has opened up their mind. They, like, become Jeff Bezos or something. It's like, no, no, no. Do something else. But I think the scariest thing, when I think about when I think about skydiving, the scariest thing is, especially when you have to skydive with an instructor, uh, the thing that, that like blows my mind is that your life is literally completely and entirely in somebody else's hands, right? Like, like that's the scariest part is that like whether I live or die is in the hands of this uh, part-time yoga instructor, skydiving instructor <laughs> named Han. You, like, it doesn't really register. What if he just like accidentally passes out that one time and I don't know how to pull the chute, you know? Like it freaks me out, but, but I, I feel like sometimes the mental health can kind, of, can kind of feel like this, right? It's like this big scary leap that we have to take, but when in fact, honestly, truthfully, we really have no control whatsoever as it pertains to this issue. I feel like oftentimes when it comes to mental illness, The biggest problem isn't necessarily the emotions or the disorder that we're going through. Oftentimes, it's the truth, it's the fact, or the perceived truth, that we really don't have much control over what's happening to us. We can feel much the victim as it pertains to mental illness. But the truth is, the Bible paints a different narrative. Now, I'm not here to say, and I've said this every single message, I'm not here to say that if you need medicine for a mental uh, disorder that, that you don't take the medicine. But studies show consistently that medicine alone has never cured anybody of any mental illness. It takes a change of diet. It takes a, a couple of different things. It still takes ongoing therapy. And really, even then, it's still difficult and it's still a battle. But what I'm saying is not necessarily that you can control your thoughts or you can get rid of your mental disorder. What I'm saying is that with the help and the blood of Jesus Christ, there are steps that you can take towards a healthier life. 
And I believe that the Bible paints a different narrative as it pertains to uh, mental illness. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a couple of scriptures that kind of talk about uh, your, your mind and this battle with the mind. We talked about it last week. It was Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments. It says, we do it, right? We demolish arguments. Not the Holy Spirit somehow miraculously and supernaturally does this on its own. It says, we do it. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Lastly, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, set you, hey, you, set your mind on things of above, not on earthly things. It doesn't say, allow God to shape, set, and discover your mind on the things of heaven. No, it says, hey, you set your minds on the things of above, not things of this earth. As a matter of fact, whenever the Bible mentions Anything as it pertains to the thoughts of the heart or the mind. So often it paints us in the place of somebody having to give action. Whenever the Bible talks about this mental battle or struggle that we face, so often it it requires action on the party that's dealing with said mental illness or said struggle that we're going through. Never does it call us to be passive and allow God to do the rest. So often it caused us to make a move. But it's the lie of the enemy to get us to believe that we are totally and completely out of control when it comes to the battlefield that is our mind. The Bible says it's us that takes the fight to the enemy. Maybe the most famous passage of scripture as it relates to mental illness kind of illustrates some of the more practical things that we can do. Uh, and it comes in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read this to you really quick. And if you don't have your Bibles, it's not a big deal. We're going to put it up on the screen. Try to stay with me. It's a long story. But before we jump into this, let me just kind of give you some background to, this, uh, to the story that we're about to read. So we're about to read a story about this guy named Elijah. And Elijah is one of the more famous prophets in the Old Testament. And, and the story that we're reading is coming directly after Elijah, who was a bad dude, just killed 450 pagan, non-believing magicians of a different faith. He just killed them, right? They had this like, they had this like face-off. It was almost like you got served type dance-off, except they were doing like God stuff. It was crazy. So they were like, you versus me, let's do this. And they couldn't do anything, and Elijah showed up did some awesome stuff, and all of a sudden, he says, you know what, we're going to put to death all these guys that blaspheme against the name of my God. Boom, he wins this massive victory, saves the people of Israel, and he's walking on a high. He's just like, man, the Lord is so good. He came through when I needed him the most. And then that's where we pick up this story. So he just won this massive battle, and then this guy tells this lady named Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So y'all know that, that song, that Jezebel don't even stand it. This is her, okay? This is who Kanye was talking about. She's mean, right? She's not cool at all. So this is who Elijah is having to deal. If Kanye raps about you, you had to be bad, right? So Elijah's dealing with this chick named Jezebel, and he said that he killed all the prophets with the sword. And then this is what happened. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Basically, hey, my life is over if I don't end yours by tomorrow. It was a death threat that she sent to him. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And then when he came to this place called Beersheba in Judah, he left. That's important. He left his servant there. So a threat on his life, he leaves his servant. And while he himself went for a day's journey into the wilderness, so he left his servant and went on this journey. He came to a broom bush, and there he sat under it and prayed that he might die. Who ever said the Bible doesn't talk about suicidal thoughts? He said that, that the dude sat up under a tree and said, you know what, God, just take my life. I'm done with it. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep all at once. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head there was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights to this mountain until he reached this mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? I want you to pay attention to his response. This is what he says. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. If you're not very familiar in Old Testament language, he's basically saying, yo, Jesus, I've been down for you for a long time. Right? I've been so passionate about Jesus. I've been, I've been, I've been going to church. I've been doing all the right things. I even defeated all of these prophets. He's saying, you know what, I, I've been for you, Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. He said, I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. So what we can understand is that Elijah just had this massive victory. The Lord showed up in his life and he knew he was real. And immediately after that, he deals with one of the most difficult seasons he's ever had to deal with. He goes from praising God to suicidal. How many of you that's dealt with mental illness can be honest with the fact that you know so often your deepest lows come right after your highest highs? You can be so great one minute and then so low the next minute as almost if you're not really in control. See, the truth is, the, the issue that Elijah had is that he was battling a, a, a woman or, or more so a nation that even though his God was bigger than, his fears kind of took over and, and allowed him to, to believe in his fears a little bit more than he believed in his faith, right? See, this is... What happens a lot of times when it comes to mental illness? Instead of our fear adhering to reality, so often our realities adhere to our fear, right? Instead, let me say that one more time. Instead of our fears adhering to reality, so often our realities adhere to our fear. Let me explain. Let me explain. You ever try to get somebody who's scared of a dog to pet a dog? What do they always say to people that are afraid of dogs? He doesn't bite, Right? He won't, he and it's always like country people. He ain't going to bite, right? <laughs> You're like, I can't trust you. Your dog doesn't bite, but the one that bit me in the eye. <laughs> you 
You know, like it doesn't matter how you try to convince me that he's not going to bite. In my experience, my fear becomes my reality. This is oftentimes what happens when it comes to mental illness. You know that, that maybe the, the fear that you're dealing with, the anxiety about the future that you're struggling with so difficult, it may be completely illogical. And at the back of your mind, you may even kind of know that. Like, like at the back of Elijah's mind, he's got to know that my God just showed up in, a, in a, just a magical way. I can't explain it. There's no reason why I should be scared of this chick. He knew that, but his fears at that point in his life became larger than his reality. If you're dealing with suicide, let me tell you something. There is nothing that's happened in your life that's so big, that's so disastrous that you should want to stop living. There's nothing that's ever happened to you that's so heinous that God can't change and redirect and use for his glory. There's nothing that's happened to you that's been so bad that God can't change it and bring goodness where there used to be dark. But nobody can tell you that when you're in your pit. Logic is not logic when you're dealing with suicide, depression, or anxiety. It's just words. And I'm not here to try to change your mind. As a matter of fact, that's a human truth. That's something that's proven by the Bible. And, and, and I want you to pay attention to the response of the angel. Because so often when it comes to, to when we deal with mental illness, everybody around us think that, that if they just spit a little bit more logic that made a little bit more sense, maybe we would change our mind and get out of the deep funk that we're in. The truth is that was never going to work. Let's pay attention to how God responded when Elijah got suicidal. So he sent him this angel, and, and, and what happens in, in, in verse 5? He tells him to arise. He says, yo, Elijah lays down all at once. An angel touched him and said, get up. Get up. If you're taking notes, that's my first point. If you're dealing with mental illness, sometimes your first practical step you can make is to get up. Here's the problem. When we're dealing with depression, the only place we really actually want to be is where? In our bed. So you're feeling down. Your emotions are down. Your mental fortitude is down. The walls that protect your mind are down. And the one thing you want to do is lay down. Right? This is not inherently spiritual. Uh, the, the angel doesn't tell him to lift your spirits, Elijah. Read some of God's word, amen. Go down to the water and drink. No, he doesn't tell him to do anything inherently spiritual. As a matter of fact, he says, you know, when you're dealing with mental illness, sometimes your problem can at least start to change and turn if you do something inherently physical. According to the Bible, if we understand the way it paints the picture of human beings, we're triune beings, right? We are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. As long as we're on earth, all three of those things work in tandem to possess our being. That means your physical does have an impact on your spiritual. See, the angel told Elijah, hey, man, I know you're dealing with depression. First thing you need to do, go check out a Stephen Furtick message. It's going to wake you up. Let me tell you something. No, he just says, hey, man, hey, get up. See, sometimes when you're in a pit, let me encourage you. This may not seem like something that'll preach, but trust me, because I've been there, this will preach. If you're feeling down, don't exacerbate the situation. 
Get up. Take a walk. Breathe. Go outside. The Bible says there's something inherently spiritual about doing something inherently physical. He says, get up. And then what does he say to him? He, the, the, the Bible says that the angel made him uh, some type of cake in, in, verse, in the rest of verse 5. He said he made him some type of cake. He said, arise, get up. And then he tells him to do what? Eat. Eat. If you're dealing with something inherently spiritual like mental illness, and then all of a sudden the Bible calls you to do something physical like get up, we have to realize and understand the angel is also causing this person, Elijah, in the story to do something else inherently physical. He tells him to eat so we can understand that basically what he's saying is, hey, you're malnourished. Why don't you eat? So not only do you need to get up, you need to get healthy. And look, I know you didn't come to church to hear a pep talk. I get that. Look, look. I know the looks on your face like, this is the type of pastor. He's going to tell me to lift weights, try to get buff, try to go to the gym, and then the Lord's going to show up in your life and it's just going to be good. That's not what, look. That's not what I'm saying. But so often when we're dealing with a tough and a difficult mental situation, what, what our life looks like all the way around us is just unhealthy. It's tough for me to coach you or to develop and encourage uh, uh, so, some positive ideas about the Lord in you when everything else in your life is negative. You're not eating on a normal basis. You're not drinking water on a normal... And I know, again, look, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Jared, this is not a biblical message, but it is. <laughs> when he's dealing with suicide, the angel doesn't try to logically explain away his feelings. As a matter of fact, if we look at the Bible, he never even mentions Jezebel. Why? Because to mention his fear would only bring validity to it. See, the real problem that Elijah was battling was not Jezebel. In fact, the real problem Elijah was battling was his own lack of faith. See, some of us. We're dealing with suicide and we're dealing with depression and we're dealing with anxiety. And I'm not saying that this is the cure. I'm saying that this is a step. Get up. Wake up on time. Find a way to see the morning. If you're dealing with depression and you look at your alarm clock every day and it's noon, that's not helping you. If you look at your diet and it's just cereal, yo, that's not going to work too much longer. The Bible says get up. Get healthy. Allow your life to look normal again. And then lastly, there's something important that we all need to understand. And this is maybe the most important part of this message. I want you to pay attention to verse 3. So in the deepest, darkest pit of Elijah's life, he makes one massive mistake before any other mistake. Let me show you what it says in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. Then when he came to Beersheba and Judah, what does it say that he did? He left his servant. In the deepest, darkest pit of his life, he decided to isolate himself. I don't know if you've ever been in the place you're dealing with so much emotional and spiritual turmoil that the only thing that you feel like is necessary that you do is to just get alone. But I can't convince you enough how much that plays into the hands of the enemy. 
when you're dealing with depression and when you're dealing with anxiety, the last place that your mind really wants to go is to a crowd full of people. The last place you really want to go is to church and hear more thoughts about how you can pray away whatever it is you're dealing with. The last place you want to go is around people who are living positively and who are allowing good things to happen. And so often when it comes to depression and to anxiety, we make the hard choice of deciding that we just are better off alone. Studies show that when it comes to depression, one of the leading characteristics that most people cite as the thing that they feel is loneliness. And even in a generation that's more connected than ever, statistics say that we are, in fact, the loneliest generation of all time. Meaningful relationship is something that we, as a culture, don't do very well anymore. We do likes and stories great, but conversation about what's actually happening in my heart, nah, that don't happen, dude. I need everybody to see the highlight reel of my life. But when I go in my room, I lay my head down, and I don't want to pick it back up. And if you can relate to what I'm saying, the truth is, is that you're probably right now allowing yourself to be isolated in a room full of people because you've already decided which way is going to be your quickest exit so nobody can catch you, so nobody can actually ask you how you're really doing. You've already decided which place you're going to go to to avoid all human contact. So you know what? You can just be alone and soak in your sorrows a little bit more. And I'm not condemning you. What I'm saying is I get you. As a matter of fact, a prophet of God understands you. He isolates himself. And if you came here thinking, well, I know that that's true, Pastor Jared, but if you love Jesus, all that will solve it. Just love God. Love God, love people, and it'll solve all the stuff that you're dealing with. That loneliness that you feel every night, love Jesus, it'll solve it. He, he, Jesus is my best friend. I don't need anybody else. Jesus is my best friend. You ever met those girls that say, you know, like, I'm, I'm not single. I'm dating Jesus. You know, it's like, that's weird. It's kind of spirit, you know. The oldest hand is, sorry. Can I tell you something? Jesus, and this is going to sound semi-blasphemous. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus alone is not enough. A relationship with God alone is not enough to solve your problems. And if you came here for that, I, I really am sorry that I'm the one that has to tell you that. But theologically, that's just simply incorrect. As a matter of fact, even in this story, we read chapter 19, verse 10. What did it say? It said this. It said that Elijah comes to the Lord and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He went to church. He never missed. He wore the right clothes. He said the right things. He spoke in tongues every single Sunday. Like, every, like he was just doing what he was, he was lined up. He, he's like, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Mental illness plus a relationship with God minus people still equals mental illness. Loneliness plus a relationship with God minus good community 
still equals loneliness. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Look, we built a college ministry because we don't just believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course we do, first and foremost. We know Jesus died and rose again. But if you're going to get healthy, if you're going to get this battle with mental illness right, you've got to learn how to get community. You've got to learn. That's my third point. You've got to learn how to get community. So often people walk into my office and most of the times they're in tears and my heart's breaking for them because their heart's broken and they're trying to explain to me what's going on and, and, and I'm just trying to figure it out and decipher what's really happening. And they say 10,000 words for about 35 minutes until they get to the point where they just say, you know what, and I just feel alone. Most of the times I say, perfect, you could skip all that stuff you said before. The real truth is that you're living outside of God's design for your life. If you're, look, if you are the only Christian that you know, you will not be the only Christian you've known much longer. It is nearly impossible to be a Christian who's rogue. As a matter of fact, in Genesis God creates the heavens and he creates the earth and he creates Adam. And Adam has complete dominion over everything in the earth. And as a matter of fact, Adam and God are in total community. They could see each other just like me and you. It was God, Adam. We were like, what's up? We played 21 in the backyard. It was great. I mean, like, life is all, like, I love you, God. You love me. What's up? And God looked on that situation. And what does he say to Adam? He says, it's not good for man to be alone. If Adam heard this statement, you have to wonder, and he's thinking, like, Lord, I'm not alone. I have you, right? This is awesome. It's just me and you. But God did not create us to be creatures that only had communion with him. It is important that you understand that God created you to be in relationship with him and in deep, interlocked community with other people. Listen to me. If you are the only Christian that you know, you are missing over half of the puzzle. But here's a step. If you're dealing with this issue, I told you, sometimes you just got to roll over and get up. Sometimes you got to change your scenery. Sometimes you got to get healthy. Sometimes you have to make decisions that don't look like the previous parts of your life. But most importantly, if you're not in a small group, it's going to be really, really difficult for me to look at you and go, you're going to make it, pal. But tonight, we're giving you an opportunity to find this. We're giving you an opportunity to connect with some people they're going to welcome you into this family of believers and say, you know what, if you need family, we've got that. If you need life, come see. If you need community, here it is. Tonight's your night. Tonight's your night. And as a matter of fact, 
We'll have a few people up here for prayer. But here's the real response that I, I need you to get. If you're not in community tonight, why don't you sign up for a group? Why don't you, why don't you just test this thought that life truly is better together? Why don't you find somebody wearing one of those lime green shirts to say groups? Those are our group leaders. And say, you know what? It's time I stop doing this by myself. And if you can't find one of those people at our Connect Center, it's the two tables that kind of look like an apple bar. Why don't you sign up for a group there? Tonight's your opportunity. We're going to have people up here praying. But tonight... Our response is going to be action steps. Join a group. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And group leaders, you guys can go ahead and make your way to the lobby. Father, I pray for every single person in this room. If there's somebody that needs to get up, God, I'm believing that tonight's their night. If there's somebody that needs to get healthy, I'm believing that tonight. Is there night? Supernaturally, God, you are working even in these practical steps. Father, and ultimately, I pray for the, the most massive decision they could make in this place tonight. God, I pray and believe that they're going to join a group of Christians that are not going to let them do life alone. I pray for a response tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for what you did in this place tonight. To your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can we just celebrate what God did in this place tonight?